Neuropathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology, neurosurgery, neurorehab, and psychiatry. Neurological Institute, neurofibromatosis type 1, a genetic condition that predominantly affects the skin and nervous system, is associated with a range of medical and neurobehavioral complications, including the development of both non-malignant and malignant tumors. Neurofibromatosis type 1 is typically diagnosed in childhood, meaning that patients require long-term management and follow-up care as they progress into adulthood. In today's episode, we're discussing care of adults with neurofibromatosis type 1. I'm your host, Glenn Stevens, neurologist, neuro-oncologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. I'm very pleased to have Dr. Mina Lobus join me for today's conversation. Dr. Lobos is a neurologist, neuro-oncologist in the Rose Ella Burkhart Brain Tumor and Neuro-Oncology Center within Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. Mina, welcome to Neuropathways. Thank you. Thank you. So, Mina, tell us a little bit about your background, how you came to Cleveland Clinic, uh, about your interest in neurofibromatosis or phacomatosis in general. So, I, I trained at the uh, University of Alabama at Birmingham, uh, where I did my residency, my fellowship, my master's degree. And I had the privilege of working with uh, Dr. Alyssa Reddy during my residency. She now leads the UCSF uh, Neurofibromatosis Center. And then I trained with Dr. Bruce Korf. As you know him, he's one of the international experts uh, in the field of neurofibromatosis. So I was fortunate to have the opportunity to train with great mentors, uh, get to experience uh, firsthand um, uh, care for pediatric and adult uh, patients with neurofibromatosis, drug development, and then moved to Cleveland, uh, to Cleveland Clinic in 2022, uh, uh, joined the Brain Tumor Center, it's a top-notch academic institute with great colleagues and international reputation uh, in the field of neuro-oncology. And here we, uh, we're standing on the shoulder of giants uh, in the field of neurofibromatosis with Dr. Ro- uh, Rothner Rule in caring for children with NF1. Well, we're very happy to have you at the Cleveland Clinic, and certainly for those listening to the podcasts that are uh, in the geographic area, if you have patients with neurofibromatosis, uh, Dr. Lobos will be happy to, to see those patients. And again, uh, offers a multidisciplinary approach, as you'll hear as we move forward. So let's get started with the basics. Give us an overview of of NF1 and its mechanism. You know, I always remember that... Um, you know, the word von Recklinghausen disease. So Dr. von Recklinghausen, as I recall, was a pathologist. And what I really remember from medical school was that von Recklinghausen has 17 letters in it. And uh, NF1 is on chromosome number 17, and that's how they said you could always remember uh, the chromosome associated with it. Although we really don't hear his name associated with it much anymore. Uh, But, you know, he described it back in the late 1800s, although clearly many cases... Uh, discussed before then. Uh, but tell us about NF and how we diagnose it, criteria, those types of things. So neurofibromatosis, uh, also known as uh, NF, it's a genetic disorder that affects about one uh, in every 3,000 people. Uh, there are three types of NF, that's NF1, NF2, and schwannomatosis. Um, and as you said, NF1, formerly known as von Reklausen, uh disease. Uh, in fact, the NIH director, Dr. Francis Collins, uh, who led the NIH through the COVID pandemic, uh, was the, uh, on the team that uh, discovered the NF1 uh, mutation uh, in the early 90s. 
and uh, there is even now an award uh, for you know uh, recognizing his legacy in the field of Francis Collins Award uh, for research done in the field of neurofibromatosis. But uh, again, NF, NF1 is, is the most common uh, form of uh, neurofibromatosis, affecting one in 3,000. Um, the NF1 gene is located on chromosome 17, uh, which is responsible for the production of a, the neurofibromin. It's a protein that prevents the cells from growing too quickly. So when it's mutated or not working right, uh, then we get a malfunctioning genes that lead to the development of several symptoms throughout the skin, brain, eyes, nerves, and other organs. Uh, the diagnostic criteria uh, for neurofibromatosis type 1 has been revised, but most, uh, most patients are in fact diagnosed during childhood, uh, and uh, that's using the clinical diagnostic criteria, you know, the number of caffeoli spots, uh, neurofibromas, so you have softening of the bones, like tibial dysplasia. Uh, if they have uh, spots on the, uh, in the iris of the eyes called the lish nodules. So most of the patient can be diagnosed uh, using these clinical criteria. A uh, few of our patients, in fact, will need to have the genetic test to confirm that if the clinical criteria uh, are not as clear. As you know, the disease uh, can be very variable even within members of the same family. Um, so, um, as I mentioned, most, most commonly the diagnosis is made clinically with few needings, needing the uh, genetic testing. Uh, while the NF tumors are generally not cancerous, uh, they may cause health problem by pressing on nearby body tissues. Uh, sometimes a uh, benign tumor may become malignant, but most people with NF1 will lead a healthy life uh, with relatively mild or manageable symptoms the risk of, of having a malignant tumor in neurofibromatosis type 1 is about 10 to 15%. Uh, some of these peripheral nerve tumors in neurofibroma can turn malignant, so we call them the MPNST, or malignant peripheral nerve sheath tumors. We know that the women with NF1 has a higher risk of having breast cancer, and we will touch on this uh, in, in how we uh, care for adults with NF1. But as I mentioned, in general, most of the patient would have mild, uh, mild disease. So take us through the diagnostic workup. I come see you. I'm concerned. You know, I went to go see my family doctor. He said I got some brown spots on me. Uh, thinks I might have NF. Sends me to see you. What's the diagnostic workup that you need to, or is it all just clinical? Majority clinical. So uh, you know, comprehensive uh, exam, including skin, eye exam. Um, neurological exam, um, and also very detailed family history. Uh, about 50% of the patients with neurofibromatosis, type 1, will be the first one in their family to have NF1. Uh, so we take detailed family history. Uh, if the patient meets the clinical diagnostic criteria, then we talk about, you know, the, the counseling, what to expect, uh, what uh, imaging studies we need, uh, what experts uh, we need to be, uh, and specialists we need to involve uh, in their care. As you know, not every patient will need to see all the specialists. So we basically tailor uh, a screening uh, and a surveillance plan uh, based on the uh, clinical criteria we see. I, I remember you mentioned uh, Dr. Rothner, and of course I have known Dr. Rothner for many, many years. 
And I know that when they would see a child that they thought that might have neurofibromatosis, he would immediately take the parents that were there for the visit, put them in a gown and examine them. Because as you mentioned, it's an autosomal dominant disorder. So, and uh, 50% of the patients will be a new mutation, but that means that 50% of the patients got it for the mom or the dad. So one of those will have it. So I guess that's one of the advantages of the pediatric patient is that they come with a parent and you assume you can examine one of the parents to see that it's there. The other thing I remember Dr. Kosmorski always used to uh, teach me that you really can't just look at the eye and tell that somebody has lish nodules. You know, I'd have residents work with me and they would say, I think I saw a dark spot in the iris. I think they have a, a lish nodule. Uh, but it could just be a freckle. Uh, and Dr. Kosmorski always taught me they really need to have a slit lamp examination so that you can have a 3D look at it. It's really not a, a bedside test that can be done to meet it. But they can have a very clear criteria that you can pick up right away. Correct. The, the brown spots, the cafeoli spots, the uh, neurofibromas, like the skin tags, uh, or the softening of the bone, like the tibial dysplasia. These are one of the, you know, the, the obvious clinical uh, signs. And most patients that present to their physician, are they symptomatic from their disease, or they come in because someone just noticed abnormalities or a family history or are most having a problem? So the adult patients that I see, um, some of them have symptoms, but they haven't seen anyone about it until the, you know, Adults are busy, and sometimes they don't even have a primary care physician until they establish a care with a physician, and then they refer them to an NF uh, specialist. And some of them are transitioning the care from the pediatric colleagues, neurology, pediatric neuro-oncology, to, um, to the adult side. So not necessarily symptomatic. Uh, sometimes it's more of a transition of care just to be plugged in uh, with an NF specialist. So if I have neurofibromatosis uh, type 1 and I come and see you, um, what do you counsel me about the types of tumors that could show up or cancers that could show up in me or screening that I should have done? So the disease is variable and it presents differently in different age groups. Uh, for adolescents and adults, we counsel more about the neurofibroma. Continuous neurofibroma can continue to show up over the years. Uh, the larger uh, nerve sheath tumor, we call them the plexiform neurofibroma, these two can continue to grow and um, in 10 or 15 percent of they can turn, turn malignant. So we cancel our patients about what is the alarming symptoms, what are the alarming signs, including rapid growth or if they become more painful or more solid. Uh, we also counsel about fertility. So, um, as you know now, there is the uh, preconception genetic diagnosis. So some families may pursue uh, IVF uh, to have the genetic uh, diagnosis on the embryos if they don't want to have the chance of the 50-50% chance of passing neurofibromatosis, the mutated neurofibromatosis gene to their, uh, to their children. So certainly that would be a very reasonable area for medical genetics to be involved with these patients of childbearing age. Correct, correct. Because you, you need to identify uh, the mutation uh, before you, you know, go further in the fertility, um, fertility evaluation. We have a wonderful team of uh, medical genetics that we work very closely with. And for the adolescents, other types of problems that you see in NF patients, such as scoliosis, learning? 
we, we do see, the, you know, learning, learning difficulties are more common in children. In fact, 50% of children with NF1 may experience uh, learning difficulties, and we have, you know, the support from the neuropsychology uh, colleagues to help with that, scoliosis in adolescents, also the vision nerve tumors. Uh, these may uh, arise in, in childhood, they can progress, they can affect the vision, but they are less of a problem in adults. As I may have mentioned about the uh, increased risk in um, women with NF1 breast cancer, so uh, the guidelines that women with NF1, they start screening like mammogram and breast MRI uh, at the age of 30 uh, until they reach the age of 50. Cutaneous neurofibromas, you know, one of the most common symptoms in NF1 can have an impact, you know, psychological impact, feeling, you know, the disfigurement. So uh, we involve our dermatology colleagues, we involve our neuropsychology colleagues, and we talk to our patients also about, you know, clinical trials and therapeutics. So it, in some ways it takes a village, a uh, lot of organ system involvement. True, it takes a village and we're very fortunate we have um, all the experts here at Cleveland Clinic that are very knowledgeable when it comes to the adult, the adult care of NF1 because it's, it's quite different than caring for children with NF1. And just talk briefly about uh, optic nerve gliomas. So these are uh, uh, a type of, of tumor called glioma that they can grow uh, anywhere on the optic nerve. You know, optic nerve is what would take, you know, the signal from our eyes to our brain. Uh, the most common, uh, you know, uh, age at presentation is around the age of six. And that can progress and start affecting the vision, mainly in children, uh, less of a problem in adults and treatment decisions uh, for, optic, for optic pathway glioma more based on the vision changes rather than uh, the MRI changes. Uh, we have uh, FDA-approved chemotherapies that we use, and now there are an ongoing clinical trial, a phase three clinical trial, that's tes testing this standard of care chemotherapy versus a targeted therapy uh, called uh, solumetanib. And my understanding is that you can occasionally see some uh, spontaneous regression in optic nerve gliomas Correct. in children. Correct, in, in, in adults. But we still, um, as we get to into adolescence and young adults, uh, we see stability or even regression. But we still advise our patients with NF1 to continue to have at least annual uh, eye exam. And I was always taught that if you didn't have an optic nerve glioma by the time you're sort of a later adolescent, your likelihood of developing one in adulthood is very low. Is that still true or not? True. Necessary? So it's extremely rare for an optic pathway glioma to show up in adults, same as it's extremely rare for a plex form neurofibroma to show up in adult, uh, same as for scoliosis and tibial dysplasia. Uh, these are more common um, to show up in children than they are in adults. So transition of care, obviously most of these uh, folks show up when they're kids. Transition of care to adult clinics is always difficult because the children have such a long association with whoever has managed their care. And I, I remember, you know, the pediatric people would be seeing, you know, 40, 50-year-old people with NF, and they just never wanted to leave the, the person that was managing them. So talk a little bit about how we uh, transition patients to the adult area. Uh, you're exactly right. The transition of care from childhood to uh, adult care is a real challenge. 
not just in neurofibromatosis, but in other chronic diseases, as well as you know, uh, in, in, in oncology. Uh, we're fortunate to have a great team with great experience in different aspects uh, in caring for adults with neurofibromatosis, including neuro-oncology, neurosurgery, dermatology, psychology, genetic counselor, and other specialists uh, within our enterprise. I do take care of comprehensive care uh, for adults with neurofibromatosis type 1, and we work very closely with our pediatric neurology and pediatric uh, neuro-oncology colleagues. So once a patient reaches the age of 18, uh, our pediatric uh, neurology and neuro-oncology colleagues start discussing about transitioning the care to adult uh, specialists. We make sure that this process is very smooth to our patients, very seamless to our patients. When we ensure you know, our patients remain well informed about updates in the field in terms of diagnostics, therapeutics, clinical trials, um, and uh, other needs uh, specific for, uh, for NF1. And I think that's really the way to do it, right? That it's just a natural that as you become an adult, you will be transitioned. If you take people that are 35, they go, well, I'm just going to stay where I am. Uh, so we really just need to have a process to do it. True. And believe it or not, as a lot of the areas around the country, you don't have specialists who are familiar with uh, adult care in neurofibromatosis type 1. Uh, so the, the, the care uh, end up being fragmented in this situation, and patients just stay longer with their pediatric uh, you know, neurologists or pediatric neuro-oncologists, and that creates another layer of complexity, like this 30- or 35-year-old patients they need a, you know, a surgery, a cardiac surgery, or dermatologist, or orthopedic. Um, they, they still need to, to, to involve an, an adult surgeon in, the, in their care, you know what I mean? Uh, so, so staying longer uh, with the pediatric um, group after a certain age may create more complexity. So you mentioned uh, salumetinib. Uh, very excited. I think it was the first FDA-approved drug Correct. for uh, treatment of NF patients. So talk to us a little bit about this drug. So uh, it's, a, it's a first FDA-approved drug. It's approved in uh, April of 2020, the year of COVID. Um, uh, it underwent a comprehensive clinical testing uh, of the drug in patients as the NIH, and it showed 70% of, of patients with neurofibromatosis with inoperable plexiform neurofibromas as experienced tumor size reduction. Uh, that went anywhere from 20 to 60% in size. In addition to uh, both visible and actual tumor reduction, patients also reported a higher quality uh, physical function, reduced pain, Im improved mobility, and enhanced emotional and psychological status. So it is FDA approved uh, for uh, patients younger than 18, uh, and it's in the process uh, you know, with the FDA to um, approve it. Uh, for, for adult patients. There are other uh, forms with the same category of, of drugs. It's called a MEK inhibitor. So that's a, that's a targeted therapy. This drug is not a, a big gun chemotherapy. This is more of a targeted therapy uh, that work on um, trying to fix uh, the problems that the malfunctioning neurofibromin has created. Uh, there are other forms of, of MIC inhibitor that's um, currently in, in clinical trial, including uh, benimetinib, uh, trametinib, mirdametinib, uh, in, in phase two trial, and as I mentioned earlier, solumetinib is in a phase three trial 
for optic pathway uh, gliomas. So very exciting to hear that there are some drug options out there. So let's say, you know, someone has a plexiform neurofibroma on their arm. Why can't the surgeon just go in and cut it out? What's, what's unique about it? That's a great question. So the, the issue is that these tumors are not like a, a solid ball that the surgeon can shell out. They're typically um, in, in, in casing involving the nerve. So you're running into a risk of damaging the whole nerve. So what ends up happening uh, with some of these surgery is just taking the bulk without, you know, trying not to damage the nerve. And we're fortunate we have um, a neurosurgeon, uh, she's very, very knowledgeable, uh, with great expertise in operative and peripheral nerve sheath tumors. And we, um, that's part of our multidisciplinary care. So if I have a patient that's have a growing uh, nerve sheath tumor, either they're having pain from it or problem with strength or sensation. We usually uh, discuss this uh, within our team. Uh, is surgery an option? And for some of the patient, it, it can be, surgery can be um, uh, feasible, but for others, it may carry more risk. And you had mentioned schwannomatosis, uh, but surgical differences if someone was doing surgery on a schwannoma versus a neurofibroma? Correct. The, the uh, histopathology, the, the tumor structure is different between neurofibromatosis and schwannomatosis. Schwannomatosis uh, has a capsule, so it's an encapsulated lesion. Uh, so the surgical approach to it is different than the neurofibromatosis. Uh, neurofibromatosis tend to have other uh, cell type within it, and it tend to more uh, engulf or encase the nerve. So the surgery for neurofibroma can be more uh, challenging, more complex than one for schwannoma. You mentioned a little bit some of the unique medical issues with the breast cancer. Any other unique medical issues that we need to follow with these patients? Uh, I believe it's it's, uh, predicting how the disease will impact one's life over the years. as you, you know, the disease can be quite variable in how it presents even within the same, uh, the same family. So how do we know um, who need more uh, frequent screening? What is the best screening tool? And what is the time to intervene? So we know the, the increased risk of, of cancer uh, in this patient, as I mentioned, 15%. Uh, so we counsel our patients about the symptoms um, uh, to look for. We, we get you know, imaging, including PET scan, to early identify any signs of malignant uh, transformation. Uh, but I believe there are more efforts through the uh, research and how we understand the genotype phenotype, like if we know a specific mutation can predict a more aggressive disease, then we tailor the screening and the surveillance different for those patients. So that's really the crux of it, isn't it? Trying to determine what an individual's penetrance and, and manifestation is going to be. So are we at that point? Can we do that? We, we have some, like we know that certain mutation uh, can cause patients to have more spinal cord tumors than the other, like spinal neurofibromatosis. Uh, but we still, you know, the data sharing among academic institution, uh, you know, undergo like the whole regulatory process that take time. But uh, one of the ongoing um, uh, research efforts through uh, the RAINS uh, response evaluation in uh, neurofibromatosis and schwannomatosis is an international uh, collaboration trying to better uh, understand and predict 
you know, this sort of uh, the, the questions, the phenotype, the genotype correlation. And, and right now we, we operate based on a reactive model, meaning we, we don't intervene medically or surgically unless a problem start to happen. And if you think about it, it's, it can be somewhat frustrating. Uh, but I believe one day we will switch to more a proactive model when we can intervene at earlier time point to prevent complication, prevent even tumors from happening, or even reverse the course of the disease. Right now, the more we know and learn, the more we can empower our patients. Uh, as I mentioned, the, uh, the screening uh, for, uh, for breast cancer in women with, um, with uh, NF1. So more, more to come in, uh, in, in, in this arena. And will insurance cover genetic testing if I felt I wanted to have it done on myself? Or it's a flip of the coin? Well, if, if you have no indications, they're not going to cover it. But if the patient has a medical indication, they will. And we, uh, that's a part of the discussion, you know, uh, with our excellent genetic counselor up front. Uh, we talk about, you know, we, we clarify all these uh, financial issues up front uh, before we even send the, the genetic test. And there are other, uh, other avenues to explore uh, financial assistance to cover these tests if the insurance uh, end up not covering it. Does every patient need to see medical genetics? Um, not necessarily. Like, uh, as I mentioned, the diagnosis is most commonly uh, done clinically. But for those that it's, it's unclear clinical criteria or, you know, for family planning, um, these, these are the ones that will need to see medical genetics. They used to talk about a slight increased risk of renal cell cancer, pheochromocytoma in patients with NF, uh, moya-moya, vasculopathies, those types of things. Any new data out on that stuff? Uh, it's a part of our uh, comprehensive evaluation. So, um, um, you know, assess the risk for uh, vascular uh, complications. So we, you know, we check the patient blood pressure. We uh, send there are certain uh, blood tests that can uh, detect the pheochromocytoma, uh, certain vessel imaging uh, that can detect that, uh, that as well. Um, uh, not every patient will need all these testing modalities. Uh, it's more tailored depend on the clinical uh, clinical presentation. And any uh, upcoming novel, uh, unique treatments research-wise, what's going on? So uh, the field is rapidly evolving. I mean, we have now an FDA-approved drug. Uh, there are more drugs coming down the pike, uh, including combinatorial therapies. Can we attack uh, these tumors using different, different treatment modalities? Uh, there are trials using topical MIC inhibitors, like the class of the drug, uh, similar to the solumetanab, topical MIC inhibitor to address the cutaneous uh, neurofibromatosis. There are no uh, new targeted uh, therapies, uh, including the multiple tyrosine kinase drugs that through um, uh, phase one and phase two clinical trial, and also the gene editing initiative, uh, which are currently in the very early phases. Uh, but that will be a game changer if it succeeds. Uh, as you know, the Children's Tumor Foundation, as well as the Gilbert Family Foundation, are huge supporter uh, for, uh, for these efforts. So, I mean, in terms of uh, research, uh, what else is going on? Uh, Imaging-wise, is there anything on the horizon? Uh, yes. Uh, so, um, uh, imaging biomarkers are a very important uh, tool of uh, understanding the disease, as well as uh, predicting which patient will respond to which drug. So we come up with a, a personalized 
treatment plan that's that's very you know precise and personalized to the patient. Uh, imaging biomarkers that look at predictability to respond to targeted therapy or immunotherapy, and also uh, the collaborative um, uh, work of coming up with with more predictable endpoints in our clinical trial. What do we look for uh, in the clinical trial? Are we just looking to make the scans look better? Because that's not you know, reflective on the quality of life. We, 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 we uh, include uh, improvement in, uh, in, in function, in, in pain, in um, uh, emotional well-being. All of these are, uh, are very valid uh, endpoint in, in, in our clinical trial design for uh, patients with neurofibromatosis type 1. Excellent. Uh, any last tips or takeaways for our audience? Well, thanks again for having me. Um, there is hope. And we are at a different uh, point now compared to uh, like 10 years ago. And I'm hopeful we will come up with more effective therapies. As you said, it takes a village to care for patients with NF. And we are fortunate to have a great one here at Cleveland Clinic. Yeah, I would just implore anybody listening to the podcast that has or sees NF patients that it's worthwhile to have them come in and have a, at least an initial comprehensive evaluation with you. Totally agree, and we have a very uh, amazing uh, care team. We make the uh, visit uh, very uh, fruitful for our patients. They're able to see multiple experts, talk about different domains of care throughout the whole process. Well, Mean, it was great having you join us today. I was so excited that uh, you brought your expertise to the Cleveland Clinic and have you as a colleague uh, and get to interact with you on a daily basis. So appreciate your time and insights, and just remind everyone that... uh, Uh, Mina's always happy to see your NF patients. Well, the pleasure is mine, and thanks for having me. This concludes this episode of Neuropathways. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash neuropodcast, or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our ConsultQD website. That's consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash neuro or follow us on Twitter at CLEClinicMD, all one word. And thank you for listening.